Welcome, Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James. This is Your Folk Radio. Today is January 14th, and we you got the deep freeze going here in central Arkansas. Four, well, four degrees right now. That's better than minus three. We started today at minus three. But it's going to stay cold like this for the next few days. So uh, I've already got one burst pipe that I know of. And fortunately, I did manage to get my kerosene heater working. So at least I'm not freezing like I did for the past two hours on the Bloodline show. So a little more comfort. Uh, so today I'm going to talk about Isaiah 53 in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we've done a couple of shows uh, on Bloodlines about Isaiah 53 uh, in our discussion of the, uh, the difference between the Masoretic and the Septuagint. And it should be obvious to everybody that the Jews hate chapter 53 of Isaiah because they know it prophesies the coming of Yahshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament. And so, therefore, they go to, they, they go to leaps and bounds to avoid discussing it. And uh, it's one of those things where there's a major disagreement between Christianity and Judaism about the proper interpretation of Isaiah 53. Right, hold on. I got a call. Okay, I can't take that call. All right, so what we're seeing here in Isaiah 53 is obviously it's a major chapter prophesying the coming of our Messiah. Not their Messiah, because he was not a Jew. He is our Messiah, Redeemer of Israel, not Jews. So, so this one of the major bones of contention between Judaism and Christianity. However, the Christians have pretty much ignored the fight and given the Jews, you know, free reign over interpretation. And there's very, very few Judeo-Christian ministers who will challenge the Jewish denial that Isaiah 53 is, in fact, a prophetic of the Messiah. Okay, so uh, I'm reading here from... I put the link in the chat room, a Wikipedia article on Isaiah 53, and uh, it's a basic analysis of, you know, what the chapter is all about. But I'm going to skip through that to the uh, text because I want to talk about how the Dead Sea Scrolls approach this. Okay, so uh, scrolling down to the text area of uh, this Wikipedia article. The original text was written in Biblical Hebrew. That's correct. This chapter, not Jewish Hebrew, Biblical Hebrew, <laughs> Israelite Hebrew, Judahite Hebrew. This chapter is divided into 12 verses, although the pericope, a pericope is a, uh, a section of text. That's what a pericope is, a section of text. It begins in Isaiah 52.13. The pericope thus encompasses 15 verses. The passage survives in a number of autonomous and parallel manuscript traditions in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and others. Hebrew. The standard Hebrew edition that serves as the basis for most modern translations is Codex Leningradensis. Uh, Codex Leningradensis. 10,008. So it's over 1,000 years old. The other manuscripts of the Masoretic tradition, which is the Jewish tradition, which is unreliable, include Codex Carensis, 895, the St. Petersburg Codex of the Prophets, 916, and the Aleppo Codex, 10th century. Fragments containing all or parts of this chapter were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are the earliest extant witnesses to the Hebrew text of the chapter. And that's 1st uh, QLSA, 2nd century B.C., QLSA, 1st century B.C., 4 QLSA, uh, doesn't give a date, but it's extant verses. Oh, the first two are all verses of Isaiah 53. And then 4 QLSA has verses 11 and 12. For QLSA, a different, so I'll just say 4Q56 has verses 11 and 12. 4Q57 
has verses 1 through 3 and 6 to 8. And 4Q58 has verses 8 through 12. So we're only missing a few verses in the um, Maser- of the, sorry, the Dead Sea Scrolls and these other on these other fragments. But I believe the entire uh, text of Matthew 50, uh, sorry, man, um, Isaiah 53 is in the Dead Sea Scrolls because that's the only complete book in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So Greek, the translation into Koine Greek known as the Septuagint was made in the last few centuries B.C. Extant ancient manuscripts of the Septuagint version include Codex Vaticanus, it's 4th century, Codex Sinaiticus, 4th century, Codex Alexandrinus, 5th century, and Codex Marcalianus, 6th century. So you can see all of these different codexes are older than the Masoretic text, which was not completed until around 800 to 1000 AD. Okay, that's how long it took the Masoretes, that is the Pharisaic rabbis, to doctor the Hebrew text. And that's what they were doing for that period of 1,000 years, is doctoring the Hebrew text in order to try to erase any references to Messiah and to replace themselves, that is, the Edomite Pharisees, for the true Israelites of the Bible. So those are the two primary thrusts of the Masoretic text, is to teach the false idea that the Jews are Israelites and to erase as much as possible of Messianic prophecy. Latin. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I didn't finish this here. Uh, Okay. Several passages of the text were included in the New Testament and serve as further witnesses to the Greek text in the first century. Origins Hexapla preserved assorted Greek translations of the text from Aquila, Theodosian, and Symmachus, dating to the second century A.D., Latin. So, so far, everything is older than the Masoretic. Latin. Jerome translated his Vulgate from Hebrew manuscripts that were available to him in the 4th century A.D. Retroversion of the Latin into Hebrew may recover what his Hebrew manuscripts said at the time. That would be an interesting assignment. Other languages. Versions of Isaiah 53 exist in many other languages but they are of limited use for establishing the critical text. The Aramaic Targum Isaiah is often paraphrasing and loose with its translation. Many other early translations, for example, the Ethiopic, Slavonic, etc., produced by Christians, were dependent upon the Septuagint and are of limited use for recovering the Hebrew, okay? Well, that would be an interesting exercise because if you take the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, a perfect example is the word Alma, which is in the, in the KJV for virgin, and the Jews deny that Mary was a virgin. However, in the Septuagint, the word translated from the Hebrew is Parthenos, meaning virgin. <laughs> it means virgin. It does not mean merely young woman or uh, maid or mistress or anything like that. It means virgin. So those Hebrews, those Judahites who translated the Septuagint would know what they were talking about because they were real Judahites. The Masoretes are Edomites pretending to be Israel and Judah. So whose version is going to be more correct? Okay, uh, the the Septuagint is proof that the original Hebrews believed that the the, the prophesied woman would be indeed a Parthenos, meaning virgin. Okay. Next heading here, Parashat. The Parashah sections listed here are based on the Aleppo Codex. Isaiah 53 is part of the Consolations, Isaiah 40 through 66. Open parasha, closed parasha. Okay, so parentheses, open parentheses, closed parentheses. Is that what this means? Next heading, interpretive options concerning the servant's identity. 
The central interpretive question to be answered for the passage concerns Isaiah's intended reference for the servant. Important related questions include the Isaiah 53 servant's relationship with the servants mentioned in other servant songs, as well as the servant's relationship with one preaching the good news in Isaiah 52.7. Three major classes of interpretation have been proposed for the servant of Isaiah 53. Now, very important to understand that when Yahshua came and addressed the Israelites, he told them, I come not to lord it over you. I came here to serve you. I'm not like all these other leaders who want to dominate over you and tell you what to do. I'm not here to do that. I am here to serve you. Not only is he our kinsman redeemer, he has come to serve us by giving us the explanation of the scriptures here in the New Testament. And he does that if you're paying attention because the Bible is the covenant message. It's not a universalist text. The law was only given to Israel and the prophecies only concern Israel unless other entities are mentioned specifically, such as the Edomites, who are not Israelites, of course. They are not our people. They are the devil's children, as we in Two Seed Line have said over and over and over again. Okay. Right, and so obviously the Jews want to suppress any Messianic language in the Old Testament, but they can't suppress it in the Septuagint, and they can't suppress it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Although they may have tried, because there was a 20-year period from 1971 to 1991, right after the Six-Day War, and it appears that one of the objectives of the Six-Day War was for the Jews to get their grubby little hands on the Dead Sea Scrolls and prevent non-Jewish scholars from analyzing the texts for 20 years. So that ban was not lifted for 20 years. So what did the Jews destroy in those 20 years? That's the question I have to ask. Okay. So, yeah, and the, uh, the bruising of Yeshua by the serpent seed, as prophesied in Genesis 3, 14, and 15, means clearly to us in two seed line that the uh, Jew snakes will follow us around wherever we go, like serpents, like serpents, and bite at our heels. It's not just his heel, not just Yeshua's heel, but our heels. And that's what they've been doing throughout history. I mean, the last 6,000 years of recorded history is exactly that. The Jews nipping at our heels, especially when we develop prosperous cities and, and nations. They come in with their money lending, control of media, and uh, depredation of our morality, etc., etc., and destroy our nations, as a serpent viper would do, right? Uh, bite, 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 nipping at our heels. It's not just a prophecy of Messiah. It's a prophecy of us being tailed, being bothered, and nipped at, nipped at by the Jewish serpent people. Okay? Next heading here. Interpretive options concerning the servant's identity. The central interpretive question to be answered for the passage concerning concerns Isaiah's intended reference to, for the servant well, who was it? What other servant is there? <laughs> Does Israel have a servant other than Yeshua Messiah? I don't think so. Okay. So, three major classes of interpretation have been proposed for the servant of Isaiah 53. Individual. The individual interpretation states that the intended referent for the servant is a single Israelite man. Well, that's what Yeshua was. Okay. I mean, who else... There was no more than one kinsman redeemer prophesied. There weren't a bunch of kinsman redeemers prophesied. So it has to be one and only one. But let's see what other, these other uh, funny, funny mentalists have to say about this. Okay. And uh, the passage is third. Oh, okay. Individual. 
The passage's third-person masculine singular nouns and verbs are cited as evidence for this position. Sometimes the entire pericope or passage is interpreted concerning an individual, and in other cases only selected verses are so interpreted. Several individual references have been proposed. Well, if if they have to do with Messiah, which is what they have to do with, no more than one Messiah has ever been prophesied. Now contrast with the Jews, who have had numerous rabbis who either claimed of themselves to be a Jewish Messiah or the Messiah, and uh, the, the rabbinate proclaiming other rabbis as being a Messiah. But all of those have come, lived, and died without performing any miracles. Okay? They were mere mortals. Okay? So, several individual references have been proposed. Of course, Jesus of Nazareth, the New Testament Christian tradition, Rabbi Akiva, a Jew, was he a Messiah for anybody? Moses, uh, Moses apparently would be would come again. Born Sota 14a, uh, or is it a reference? Okay, so yeah, again, this got to be a Talmudic reference. The Jewish Messiah, but not Jesus. Targum Jonathan Sanhedrin. Well, the Targums are not Jewish literature. Again. The Talmud, the Midrash, all this other extra-biblical Jewish literature is, and when I say extra-biblical, I mean extra-Israelite, extra-Judahite literature, is Jewish, Talmudic, Midrash, uh, witchcraft, Kabbalah, you name it. The Bible doesn't contain any of that stuff. That stuff is inconsistent with the Bible. So is the oral tradition of the Jews, which just makes stuff up. Okay? So they're including rabbis such as Yakut Shimoni and Maimonides. And so another individual interpretation is Jeremiah, and that interpretation is provided by Saadia Gaon. Gaon is a Jewish leader. So anyway, you see that only Christians accept Yahshua as the Messiah. All other Messianic traditions are, of course, Jewish and therefore perverted. Next heading here, a righteous Israelite remnant. Okay... Uh, now, <laughs> how many of us, if, if I were to take the most righteous Christian Israelites that I know, how many of us could walk on water? How many of us can raise the dead and heal the sick just by pronouncing a word or by having them touch our garments? No, that, that's, that's absurd, but this is one of the interpretations they're presenting here. Some interpretations state that the servant is representative of any Israelites who meet a particular standard of righteousness, such that the passage applies to some Israelites and not others. Examples include, now this is, again, this is more Talmudism, folks. This is not biblical. Bullet point, whoever the Lord is pleased with, he crushes with suffering. That's Barakot 5a. That's Talmud, folks. Whoever is sick and has a seminal emission... Barakat 57b. Again, this is Talmudic nonsense. This is extra-biblical Talmudism. National. Okay, this is more Judaism because we know that the Jews have proclaimed that they are their own Messiah. No, Nobody in Christian identity has ever asserted any such thing. Okay. Hello, Chris. Yeah, we're, we are familiar with the Euphrates River prophecy. And there's two interpretations of that, namely the the Euphrates will dry up, could be a reference to the fact that our ancestors who came from that area will no longer migrate from there into Europe and into the current nations. But on the other hand, the Euphrates has almost dried up, literally. Okay, so we'll keep our eyes on that. And there's no problem having a dual fulfillment, one uh, spiritual, one one, uh, genetic, and another physical, right? In the, in the physical world. So no, we have no problem with uh, multiple fulfillments of prophecy. So let's continue 
with the uh, document here and see if we can learn anything from the Talmud. Now, of course, we have to understand that Wikipedia is owned by Jews, so they're going to give preferential treatment to any Jewish interpretations as opposed to Christian interpretations. So, oh, hold on. My screen is jumping around, and there we go. Okay. National. This interpretation states that the servant is a metaphor for the entire nation of Israel. Can, can we be our own kinsmen redeemers? And I'll bet you that the Jewish interpretation does not use the expression kinsman redeemer. I'll bet it doesn't because Yahshua is no kinsman of the Jews, nor vice versa. The sufferings of the servant are seen as sufferings of the nation. No, we Jews are so persecuted. The the world hates us. But didn't the prophecy say that the world would love us because of all the good we do? Didn't Ezekiel prophesy of America, the land of villages without walls, unwalled villages and unwalled cities? That we would be a blessing to the world? Isn't that what it says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3? That we would be a blessing to the world? Nobody hates the people who bless them. People hate those who condemn them and rob them and steal from them and destroy them. That's why the world hates the Jews. Because they are not Israel. They are devils in shoe leather. Okay? So, again, we see Wikipedia is towing the Jewish line here, uh, citing a lot of Talmud garbage instead of actual scripture. So, okay. This interpretation first appears with the unnamed Jews familiar to origin in the 3rd century, and it subsequently became the majority position within Judaism, which is not the religion of the Bible. The Israelites never referred to their religion as Judaism. They simply referred to it as the way or the law and the prophets. That's the term that Yahshua uses in the New Testament, the law and the prophets, the Mosaic law and the teachings of the prophets. It never had any other name than that in our history until some Jew came up with this word Judaism and impose it upon the Old Testament. Okay. Sometimes this view is combined with the righteous remnant view. Rashi representative of commentaries include. Question, folks. Is there such a thing as a righteous Jew? One who obeys the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law? Or do they just pretend to obey like hypocrites? like their Talmud, like their Midrash, like their Kabbalah, like their Zohar. It's all pretense, folks. That's why I wrote the book, The Great Impersonation, how the Antichrist has deceived the whole world. And, of course, it starts by deceiving the little Jews. (laughs) That's the Jews. They have to have shock troops who actually believe the nonsense that the rabbis teach. Okay. It's still good. I had to check my... uh, kerosene heater real quick and make sure it's not smoking. If it's not burning clean, it'll smoke. The <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll pass out from carbon monoxide poisoning. I'm sure there are some Jews and even some Israelites who would like to see that happen. But in any case, a wide variety of sources across many centuries include interpretations of the chapter. The section, This section will highlight some of the key interpretive sources organized by date of textual origin. So, now you can see already that Jewish tradition has many, many statements that deviate from the true messianic position. That, For example, all of the verses in Isaiah 53 are clearly relevant to Yahshua Messiah. And we'll go through those verses before we before we end the show. But I'm more, folk, I'm more concerned about the Dead Sea Scrolls right now. How they confirm our view of who the Messiah is. Or whether they confirm the Jewish view. Okay. 
I can say for a certainty it's going to confirm our view, not the Jewish view, because Book of Isaiah is not Jewish. It's Israelite. Okay. So, Dead Sea Scrolls, 3rd century B.C. to 1st century A.D. The Dead Sea Scrolls include both biblical and non-biblical scrolls that reflect the text and the themes of Isaiah 53. One Kisa, the great Isaiah scroll, in their article on the interpretation of Isaiah 53 in the pre-Christian period, Martin Hengel and Daniel P. Bailey noted a striking messianic reading in the great Isaiah scroll for Isaiah 52.14. They wrote, now it's interesting, uh, I never had considered going back into Isaiah 52 to see if it's part of the Isaiah 53 paracope or passage, whether it's relevant. Sometimes in order to set the context of certain chapters, we will have to go into the previous chapter and see, well, what's this previous chapter all about before we can analyze the current chapter? A perfect example in the New Testament is Romans 13, which is interpreted by the Judeo-Christian world as meaning, oh, well, uh, Paul says, we must submit to the authority of all evil rulers, such as Rome, such as the Jews. No, you have to go into Romans chapter 12 to set the context to find out that when he uses the word authority, he's talking about scriptural, biblical people, our ancestors, Israelites, and of course, Yahweh himself. He's not talking about, he's, he's not, well, the perfect proof of that is the fact that Paul himself never capitulated to the Roman authority. He was constantly being arrested by them, and finally they, they murdered him. Okay, So Paul himself is living proof that either he contradicted himself or that is not what he meant by Romans 13.1. Okay, let's continue. So here's what they write. The okay, so... The first line, I thought they were going to quote it here, so let me go into Isaiah 53 so we have it on the record, what they're talking about. Okay, because they don't quote it, so let me go into Isaiah, scrolling down to chapter 53. It's one of the longest books in Scripture. So verse 1, Who has believed our report? Certainly not the Jews. And if the Jews are Israelites, why don't they believe it? And to whom the arm of Yahweh is whom is the arm of Yahweh revealed? Well, certainly to the remnant. And those can only be Christian Israelites, they cannot be Jews, folks. Because the Jews never were Israel. That's the great impersonation of Israel by Jewry. And they are not us, we are not them, and Yahshua is not one of them either. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He said of himself, I am the root and the offspring of David. He, he gave us our DNA, and then he partook of that DNA when he came in the flesh. Okay? He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's because, well, because when most of the Israelites saw him, except for a few, he was already on the path toward the crucifixion, and he was also being besmirched constantly by the rabbis of Judaism, by the scribes and Pharisees. So, if they ever saw any beauty in them, in him rather, the rabbis were doing their absolute best to destroy that beauty, okay, by making false accusations against him. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men. There you go. How does the book of uh, John begin? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. A man of sorrows. And a lot of people in identity want to deny that that passage is valid. No. The vast majority of Israelites in his day had no idea who he was, never gave it a second thought, and ne never even conceived of the idea that he might be the prophesied Messiah. 
Even the apostles didn't realize who was standing before them. Even after all the miracles, the first to acknowledge him was, in fact, Peter. That you, yeah, you're the one. You're the one. You're the Messiah. So the rest of Judea, uh, Judah, the rest of Judah, I should say, were still clueless. Even most of the apostles were still clueless. Most of them, by the time of the Last Supper, they began to understand. But the common people, how could they understand? Uh, what did they know of the Holy Scriptures? But uh, certainly, Peter and the apostles were common people. And they must have had access to the Holy Scriptures, or they paid attention at Judahite synagogue, not Jewish synagogue, Judahite synagogue, and paid close attention and maybe they took notes or they had good memories because they should have known the prophecies of Isaiah and the hundreds of other prophets, literally hundreds of prophecies concerning Messiah, which only one person in the universe has fulfilled even a single one and certainly is not a Jewish rabbi. Okay. So let me repeat uh, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. That word is ish. So it includes Adamites, but it also includes non-Adamites. A man ish of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. Now, is he not still despised by global Jewry even today, folks? Of course he is. And we, we Israelites... And Judahites esteemed him not. It wasn't until after he died that Israelites finally began appreciating who he was and is. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne, that is B-R-N-E, carried our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted by falsely believing that he was guilty of whatever accusation the Pharisees accused him of. And Peter confirms this in the book of Acts when all those Israelites from the territory prophesied to belong to Israel given to Abram, Genesis 15:18, from the Tigris and Euphrates to the Nile. That was given to us, not to Zionist Jews, folks. And that's the territory from which all of these attendees of the very first Pentecost in the New Testament, 33 AD, that's where they were from. That very territory, which the Jews falsely claimed for themselves, but which they haven't even got one iota of the territory. <laughs> all they got is that stinking little... Uh, bit of desert they call Israel. And of course, that doesn't belong to them either. But they're not even close to taking the territory from the Nile to the Euphrates. Not even close, and they never will. Okay? So if anybody thinks that they have fulfilled the prophecy of the two rivers, think again. They have not, and they never will. Okay, so let's get back to the argument of this article and see what they have to say. Again, bearing in mind that these people are, in fact, Jews, the people who control Wikipedia. All right, so, but nevertheless, they do allow Christians to post articles and comments as part of the narrative here at Wikipedia. And I've done this many times, only to find that some Jewish editor will simply strike what I have inserted and nobody will ever hear of it again. So that's how much the Jews uh, you know, watch this website. And if any Christian identity person comes in and inserts the truth, it, will, it won't last there longer than a day or two. Some Jew will come and notice it and say, oh, no, no, we can't have that. We can't, we can't have identity theology being promoted on Wikipedia. Now, can we accept criticism of, right? But we can't criticize the Jews. They can criticize us. 
but we can't criticize them. So anyway, so of the passages, okay, all right, so they're actually now referring to Isaiah 52.14. So let me go back to Isaiah 52.14 and see what that has to say. <laughs> Because I thought they were talking about Isaiah 53.1. So 52, scroll down to Isaiah 14. Because they say that should be part of the Isaiah 53 narrative. And remember, when the Bible was written, it didn't have these chapters. So the chapters are fairly arbitrary in many cases. And, you know, uninformed in many other cases. Okay. So let me scroll down to... Well, this is the very end, very near the end. Okay, he was pierced for our transgressions. Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant, that's where the servant language comes, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Indeed, he was. But he still denied that honor and privilege by the Jews. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, and men here is Adam, not Ish. Okay, so this, and of course, uh, the the film, the uh, the uh, Passion of the Christ, depicts his bloody face with the crown of thorns and the whiplashes, etc. Verse 15, So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. So this is definitely talking about the heathen nations, because no one prophesied these words to them. Nevertheless, they will hear of our Messiah. They will hear of our Messiah. And they have. Every nation on the face of the earth has heard about him. Whether or not they believe on him is another story, but there are still many Israelites who don't you know, believe in him and don't take the Bible seriously. Okay? So those, yeah, the, uh, these three verses definitely pertain to Isaiah 53. So let's get back to the article, not now that we understand what they're talking about here. The first line agrees with the Masoretic text, though the Masoret uh, is here spelled with the final mater and may be translated just as many were astonished at you. Okay, many. Not everybody because not everybody takes it seriously. But in the second line, instead of the MT's unclear hapex yegomenon, marring, disfigurement, the Dead Sea Scroll version suffixes a yod to read that the call perfect first singular, I have anointed to the last word, Furthermore, adds the article, the human, or the, it should be the Adamites. We may therefore translate, so they're giving their translation of the passage, 52.14. Just as many were astonished at you, so have I anointed his appearance beyond that of any other Adamite. And his form beyond that of the sons of humanity or other humans, okay? So, his his figure, his face was, in fact, disfigured. But uh, I'm not sure that's what the reference is here, okay? I have anointed his appearance beyond that of any other man and his form beyond that of sons of humanity. Well, if you go by the description of him by Pontius Pilate. He said he had, Pontius Pilate said that Yahshua had an angelic visage. He was, there was something about him that he couldn't even put into words. He was like an angel in human form. 
So maybe that's what this verse is really saying. And it's quite possible that the Masoretes wanted to distort that and say, oh, he was ugly. Not realizing that this prophecy would be fulfilled at the cross and with him wearing a crown of thorns. Anyway, because this reading indicates God anointed the servant beyond that of any other man, it is likely that the scribe who penned the great Isaiah scroll interpreted his servant as the Messiah. Yeah, because this is actually a positive translation offered by Martin Hengel and Daniel P. Bailey. Okay, let's continue. Another variant is present in two Qumran manuscripts, the Septuagint and the Septuagint, sorry. Martin and Hengel write, quote, the most important variant that scrolls A and B have in common, see also 4Q Isaiah, is the phrase... He will see light in 53, verse 11, attested also in the Septuagint. This variant adds a vivid descriptor to the servant's experience after his persecution and death. Okay, I don't know if if it means precisely after his death. He saw the light just by being the light, right? He knew what the light was. He knew what the prophecies were. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. Hold on. I have to wet my whistle. I'm getting dry in throat. It is likely that the Qumran community, which is the Essenes, of course, saw Isaiah 52.7 as the beginning of the pericope, and 52.13 as starting a subject or, or subsection within it. <coughs> but I only read from 52.14. I didn't read 52.7. We'll see if it's, uh, if it's necessary here. Okay, so let's continue here just as it does in other major breaks of thought. Okay, well, you could say that about a lot of scripture, that, uh, again, the chapter headings are arbitrary. Many of the chapters of Daniel are totally out of place uh, time-wise. Some of the earlier chapters are presented late. Some of the later chapters are presented early in the current KJV version that we have. Chronologically incorrect. Anyway, they say, Evans writes, Although of uncertain meaning, this manuscript feature likely indicates the beginning of a new section, unquote. He notes that the Masoretic text includes a Samic for Seder at the same verse and a small Samic after 52.12. Evans writes, Accordingly, both the great Isaiah scroll of Qumran and the Masoretic text appear to view Isaiah 52.7-12 to and 52.13-53 as two related units, perhaps with 52.7-12 introducing the hymn. Qumran community interpreted Isaiah 52.7 messianically, which may have been have bearing on the servant's identity if the passages are to be linked. And obviously the Isaiah, uh, Dead Sea Scroll version of Isaiah was composed by those righteous servants of Yahweh who left Jerusalem. Now, whether they were priests of the temple, which I feel they were, uh, but they knew the competition by the by the Pharisees was getting stronger and stronger. And, of course, they had the support of the Roman army. And uh, to some extent, so did the Sadducees. So these Israelite priests knew it was time to go, to get out of Dodge before it's too late, because they needed to preserve the scriptures, and thankfully they did. So, And of course, Josephus tells us that the Essenes were of true Judahite heritage, and the Sadducees and Pharisees were not. 
So I see the Sadducees as being Hellenized Judahites, so their origin was in Judah. But once you begin associating with non-Israelites in your daily life, then you start attracting those people into your home, etc., etc., and you maybe go to their church. You, you may do things that you wouldn't do as, a, as an Israelite, but you do in their company, okay? Like going to Jewish movies, <laughs> okay? So, as, okay, so, let's see, fragment number nine, a portion of Q, 4Q541 includes themes about an individual that will alone for his generation, despite his generation being evil and opposing him. Hengel and Bailey reviewed this fragment and others, noting as early as 1963, Starkey suspected that this these portions of Q, sorry, 4Q540 and 541, quote, seem to evoke a suffering Messiah in the perspective opened up by the servant songs, unquote. The text of 4Q541 fragment 9 reads, uh, apparently verse 1 is missing. Verse 2, and he will atone for all the children of his generation. And generation would be Genema, not Gehema, Genema, meaning offspring, offspring of Israel. And he will be sent to all the children of his people, verifying the meaning of the word generation. His word is like the word of the heavens and his teaching according to the will of God. His eternal sun will shine and its fire will burn in all the ends of the earth. Above the darkness it will shine. Yeah, the darkness that is called planet earth. Then darkness will vanish from the earth and gloom from the dry land. They will utter many words against him and an abundance of lies. They will fabricate fables against him and utter every kind of disparagement against him. His generation will be evil and changed. Verse 7. And will be and its position and changed it will be. I think is what the, should be how it should be read here. And its position of deceit and violence. And the people will go astray in his days. And they will be bewildered. Oh man. And we've been bewildered for the last 2,000 years. Okay, so 11Q13, that's 11Q Melch. 11Q13, also 11Q Melech, or Melch, or the Melchizedek document, okay, is a fragmentary manuscript among the Dead Sea Scrolls from Cave 11, which mentions Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, as leader of God's angels, in a war in heaven against the angels of darkness instead of the more familiar archangel Michael. Now again, the Dead Sea Scrolls confirm our belief in angels and the spiritual realms that the fallen ones were in fact at one time angels or as we were saying earlier today, gods. Gods, angels, they're disembodied spirits dwelling in the universe above or the background universe of the physical universe from which the physical universe is created. Okay. It all is like a blueprint. It all has to take place first in the mind of Yahweh and then the construction crew, namely the angels, carry out the construction. That's what Genesis 1 is all about. Okay. As a fragmentary manuscript among the Dead Sea Scrolls from Cave 11... And there was war in heaven. Okay. Okay, that's Revelation chapter 12. There was war in heaven against the angels of darkness instead of the more familiar archangel Michael. The text is an apocalyptic commentary on the jubilee year of Leviticus 25. Well, that's very interesting. Because as we have been saying here at Eurofolk Radio that the year 2024 is, in fact, the completion of the 70th Jubilee since we had Joshua, 
and the Israelites invade Canaan land in 1406. So that's 3,430 years. Yes, 3,430 years from 1406 B.C. is 2024. So this is the year. 70 is the number of judgment. And so, but it doesn't necessarily begin until the Day of Atonement in 2025 because the Jubilee year goes from Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement. It doesn't proceed according to the uh, calendrical year. It's a special year within the calendar year from Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement. And so that year between the Day of Atonement uh, 2024 and Day of Atonement 2025 is going to be that year, but it starts in 2024. So I expect things to get markedly worse, markedly worse, after Day of Atonement 2024, which is this year. Okay, it's already gotten bad already with COVID and people who are just ignorant or who are afraid to challenge authority uh, do not comprehend what's happening. Uh, there's no, there's gonna not be going to be any rapture bus waiting outside the doors of your Judeo-Christian church. Ain't going to happen. We all have to go through tribulation. You cannot avoid it. But you can ameliorate it by being righteous so that whatever punishment you do have to endure won't be as bad as what everybody else gets. Okay? Obey Yahweh's laws and you will survive. Okay? Okay, so Melchizedek. So, well, didn't Paul say that Yahshua is the new head of the order of Melchizedek? That's what he said. Okay? That's him. And typically, and uh, also, every male, firstborn male, of every, well, it's actually a succession of firstborn sons of firstborn sons of firstborn sons, that is the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. So there's, there's still a lot of those firstborn sons around. Yahweh knows who they are. It would be impossible for us to trace our genealogies to find out who they are. However, it doesn't really matter because the firstborn son and all sons of Israel are supposed to be priests when they reach the age of 30. And that's why Yahshua had to wait till 30 years of age before he was baptized by Johann. Okay. So let's continue. The passage includes a quotation of Isaiah 52.7 and a messianic explanation that ties the passage with Daniel 9.25. The scroll reads, with about five minutes left, But Melchizedek will carry out the vengeance of Yahweh's judgments, and on that day he will rise. And of course, we already know that Yahshua is the head priest of the order of Melchizedek. And on that day he will flee from them, from the land of Belial and from, oh, sorry, from the hand of Belial and from the hand of all the spirits. To his aid shall come all the gods of justice. And he is the one who, all the sons of God, and, let's see if I can get this right, something missing here, all the sons of God will bow to, something like that. Anyway, this is the day of peace about which he said, through Isaiah the prophet, who, who said, Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, the messenger of good who announces salvation, saying to Zion, your God reigns. Okay, that's the gospel, folks. That if we as Israelites do not reject this gospel, then it is within us. Just as Yahweh breathed the breath of life into Adam in Genesis chapter 2, 7, Yahshua breathed on somebody, I forget who it was, breathing his Holy Spirit into us. Okay, it still remains for us to accept it. Oh yeah, and it shall be as in the days of Noah. Boy, our, <laughs> where everybody's partying, hardying, and totally ignoring the prophecies of the end. 
And even the uh, rapture people, they've got the prophecies wrong, so they're not going to be ready for the time of the end. They're simply assuming, oh, the rapture bus is going to pick us up because we believe in Jesus. Jesus, don't you know? He will save us because we believe in him. Sorry, folks, it's not that easy. (laughs) But where we'd all be in heaven already. Okay, so, yes. Yeah, and of course, the, the, the serpent has been sneaking around on its belly, hiding behind us. And whenever we turn around, you know, it's like you're walking down the street and you think somebody's spying on you and you turn, there's nobody there. So you get paranoid. <laughs> All right. So so we have two types of Christians, those who are paranoid and those who think there's no enemy at all. Right? The love, love, love. Joel Osteen's style, the gospel of personal salvation people. They think their salvation is guaranteed. No, it's not. If you love me, keep my commandments. The law has not been done away with. So all these Judeo-Christians who believe Judeo-nonsense are jumping the gun. They won't be ready. They won't be ready for the Day of Judgment because they will not have prepared adequately for that day. He says, I will come as a thief in the night. Don't be ready. Get your kerosene heater working. <laughs> you have to, and get your you know, uh, Arctic sleeping bag ready. There may be no kind of power whatsoever except firewood. The electricity will go out. Your internet will go out. Your gas pipes may not have any more gas. Your propane tanks may not be available anymore. See, if the economy collapses and those propane companies go out of business in the middle of the night, Thieves are going to come and steal all those tanks while they can get them. Okay, this is how it's going to be, folks. We're almost there. All right, so this is very interesting stuff. I think I'll continue with this next week if the uh, uh, Dead Sea Scroll parallels are are continuing. It looks like they will. And uh, it, it compares Jewish interpretation, which is different from the Dead Sea Scrolls, different from the scriptures, different from the uh, Septuagint, different from the actual Hebrew. So it's always very instructive to compare Jewish opinions versus our literature. We can learn a lot about how the Jews do not believe the Bible, and we do. All right, all right, folks, thanks for listening. This is very interesting stuff. Maybe we'll learn something about the Judgment Day that we didn't haven't heard before. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. And have, well, stay warm. (laughs) And have a pleasant day if you can. Bye-bye. 